This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. So, Stokes fans, we have got a treat for you today. Uh, it's a topic that you get very passionate about, I imagine. So, we've got with us today author Liam Bullock. Now, Liam, this isn't your first rodeo, is it, this book? Hi, Dan. No, it's not. My first book was Twin with Reykjavik, which was about the uh, the Icelandic years of Stoke City. Yeah, so I think, and obviously, I th- um, we spoke last year, didn't we? And we sort of like delved into sort of that era and sort of um, dipped in and out of the, the sort of things you mentioned in the book around that. And obviously, the, the, the era when the Icelandic board were in charge. Um, and obviously, so what, so after doing that, what sort of brought you on to Stoke and Vale then as, as, as a rivalry? To, um, to well, I mean, I didn't really plan to write a second book and I, I don't plan to write a third one, but like I said, I didn't plan to write this one. But I think, so I don't live in Stoke anymore and I don't live in the UK anymore. I'm living in Spain and it, you kind of get a bit of a different perspective of um, what our city's all about when you when you move away and when you meet people from other cities. You know, I know a lot of Spanish people, obviously. I know a lot of people from the UK, from Ireland. And... Talking about rivalries, I kind of get the impression that Stoke versus Vale, for one thing, no one outside of Stoke-on-Trent really knows anything about it. And the other thing is it's not really like any rivalry out there, I don't think. If you think of Arsenal v Tottenham or, you know, Man City, Man United, any of these big rivalries that everyone talks about, Rangers v Celtic, it's, it's very straightforward. They hate each other. They've always hated each other. Your dad hates them. Your son hates them. <laughs> With Stoke v Vale, I mean, you're from, I think you're from my generation, Dan. I mean, you've probably grown up and seen a few Stoke v Vale clashes yourself. And yeah, people slightly older than us will have also seen Stoke v Vale clashes, particularly in the 90s. And th- for those people, I think there is that strong rivalry there. We hated playing them. It was, those were the big games for us. But for people younger than us, they've never even seen a Stoke v Vale match, um, at least a proper league one or a cup one that didn't involve the under-21s. And so knowing what they feel about the games and their perception of a rivalry is very interesting. And beyond that as well, probably our parents and certainly our grandparents, some of them actually 
went to watch both Stoke and Vale. So they've got this different kind of opinion altogether, where one week they'd go to the Victoria Ground, and then one week they'd go to Vale Park. And there was generally a good feeling between the two, and even the clubs helped each other out at different times. So you start to think, well, there's a really interesting story there. And the fact that nobody seems to know about it was, you know, that was my inspiration, really. So there was another other reason as well, that there was a study that came out in 2019. The Potteries Derby was named as the 28th biggest rivalry in England. And now, to put that into perspective, that was below Doncaster v Rotherham, Accrington Stanley v Morecambe, Cheltenham v Forest Green, and it was even below Crew v Vale. So I thought, well, that doesn't seem right to me. Maybe, maybe I'm the one who's going to have to step out and sort of put put this rivalry on a on a pedestal. And in the, you know, eventually we might have to play each other, and it might catch a few people out how um, fierce it could be. Did have any of them rivalry seen four and a half thousand go to an away game in, in the, the under twenty ones play? I don't know, and I don't know if any of them have ever hired a plane to fly over a stadium a week after a relegation. But you know, these are things that maybe maybe there's Rotherham fans out there or, or Forest Green Rovers fans who would take exception, and maybe they can write their own book about it. <laughs> I mean, you've said there that obviously there's a generation of. Of Stoke and Vale fans who won't, have never experienced a, a true Potteries derby. I mean, it's 21 years, isn't it? I mean, last month was the 20, 21st anniversary of the last um, Stoke and Vale match. And that was when we were both in the third tier, you know, what is now League One. I mean, you have to go back a bit further to get the last Stoke win. I think it's another, it's another five years, is it? Nearly? Yeah, since right, right at the point where we moved to the Britannia Stadium. Yeah, so we've not beaten Port Vale since we well, yeah, since we moved into that ground. <laughs> well, um, that's or is it? Yeah, isn't it? yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, how how did that sort of shape how you went about then? Did you? Because obviously, you in this book, you've got quite a lot of um, quotes from people, haven't you? And you've been out and sourced uh, people's memories and, and opinions on that derby. Did you try and get sort of a more modern, you know, a younger fans view as well, just to see, you know, just just from their perspective how they view the derby? Is that in there as well? Yeah, it is. And um, you know, for full disclosure, obviously, I'm a Stoke City <clears> fan, um, but. I didn't want to write this as a, a Stoke City fan's point of view or a very biased red and white point of view of the derby because, well, as we've kind of discussed, it would be very short for one thing. It would end at 1999 or something like that because there's much <laughs> to talk about in, in a positive light after that. But no, I mean, I grew up a lot around uh, Port Vale fans. I've still got several Port Vale friends. Um, and one of the things, yeah, I wanted to do was go out and talk to People, some people that hadn't seen the derbies, as we've discussed. So, for one, Ben Rowley, who's of the YYY files and has has been on this podcast many a time as well. He'd never seen a derby, so he was someone whose opinion I wanted to source. Um, but then, you know, from the Stoke point of view, Angela Smith and Pete Pete Smith, no relation, I assume, um, but of Radio Stoke and the Sentinel, respectively, they've they've seen the derbies. They've been part of the local media so they've been at the very forefront of the Stoke Vale rivalry firsthand from being at the matches but also from just experiencing talking to the fans after the matches before the matches on Friday nights and then from the Port Vale side um, 
Ali Simcock, uh, who some might be familiar with. She's an FSA board member, but she's also worked on the Vale Fans Liaison Council, former chairwoman of the Supporters Club. So she was a, she's a close family friend, so I wanted to get some of her points of view. My friend Patrick, uh, who I grew up with, he's he's a Vale fan, home and away. And his um, I think it's his uncle, Barry Seaton. Again, 58 years of stories that he can tell. He could have written his own book when he started sending me Word documents. <laughs> but, well, at this rate, I'm going to have to make you a co-author if I keep putting all your stories in there. But he was very poetic in his tales. And some of the guys from the, um, the, the Ale and the Vale podcast as well. So... It at least gave me a bit of um, balance and kept me um, sort of on track and and not swaying too far from from a neutral point of view. But at the same time, I'm still a Stoke City fan, so it's always going to have a little bit of a twinge of the red and white. <laughs> um, yes, I mean, digging into these games then, so... I say, I mean, we've we're saying now it's been twenty one years. I mean, looking at, I'm looking at the games here, and between we did, there was no game between Port Vale and Stoke between 1957 and 1989, and then it seemed to be that in that 13 years there after we were in, we were playing them more often than we weren't, and then there's been a big gap again. So, would you say that that you know that throughout the 90s and a couple of years either side, that has been the, the sort of the main sort of bulk when this sort of fixture as a rivalry was was as its peak. Yeah, hundred percent. Those those were the best chapters to write about. Those were the the real controversial matches, incidents, trouble on and off the pitch in town centres, in the stands. That's that first meeting in nineteen eighty nine. Like you said, we hadn't played each other since the the, the late fifties early 60s um, but we did play each other in friendlies in those time and again there were these um, moments where the clubs would help each other out first you know there was um, the incident where the Butler Street stand roof blew off and we played against Middlesbrough at Vale Park we helped Port Vale out when they got kicked out of the Football League for getting reinstated there was all these you know crossovers of players who were maybe coming towards the end of their careers going from Stoke to Vale Stanley Matthews managed Vale in that time. So there was this long period of sort of a, a friendly rivalry in a way. Um, and then I think when we played them in 1989, it caught everybody out because straight away there was trouble. Straight away there was incidents with the crowds because it had just been, it'd been held off for so long that it was, um, it was a melting pot. It was just waiting. It was like an erupting volcano that had been sat dormant for all that time. And then... 1992 we played them four times we just kept playing them right through the 90s and then into the early 2000s and often there was something on the line as well you know promotion or relegation or a cup something like that so it just all contributed to this this really fierce time for the rivalry yeah because in essence in those early 90s as well when we were both in the third tier we were both sort of going for a promotion at the same time weren't we and then I was like, say they knocked us out of the cup, and and we did we win the we won the auto glass trophy, then they won it the year after. Yeah, and then the same thing happened in the two thousands. Uh, we won yeah. the auto windscreen shield, and then they won the LDV Vans trophy. Um, it's funny how these things work out. But yeah, that that year that we we won the auto glass trophy, and then 
we also um the year after we were looking for promotion and hope fail were looking for promotion as well even the last game of the season we needed to win for Vale to have a chance to go up in their game and obviously we didn't Lou Macari basically gave the team the week off beforehand to not do any training <laughs> said we've done our bit we don't have to help anybody else out here so even when we weren't playing each other we were kind of sticking it to each other as well yeah I mean I can think as well from the 90s I mean there's games in the early 90s that I was too young to remember myself I and mean, I was born in 87 um, so I'm looking probably from like 95, 96 onwards. I remember, um, I remember things like it being on ITV. I know ITV used to have sort of the, the uh, football league games, and I remember a couple of them were on sort of on a Sunday afternoon on ITV. Um, I seem to remember a rather bloated Robbie Williams being interviewed at the side of the pitch at half time <laughs> during right. one of them. <laughs> yeah, um, that that sort of things I like sort of stick it stick in my head. Um, but then even you've got sort of clips from the earlys. I mean, you mentioned that FA Cup tie. I mean, was that was that when we had, did we have an open goal and we tried to roll it and it got stuck in the mud? Just yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's the name of the chapter: stuck in the mud. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, actually, I, I was only five at the time, so I, I have no recollection of that game. But I've seen that clip, and I say it's just it's funny how like say fixtures like that produce moments like that that just. That out of the like out of the ordinary aren't they? And will sort of stick with you because of like how unique it is, kind of thing. Yeah, and um, the year after when Mark Steen scored in front of the away end at Vale Park, that's another one that yeah, I was too. I was born in '88, so I was too young for those as well. But I've seen the videos, and even though I wasn't there, it's ingrained in my memory of this just sea of fans just sort of moving towards the pitch to celebrate. And um, we do have some. Um, some first-hand uh, accounts of that as well. Uh, my parents were at that game as well, but they were sat in the home end. So there's a there's a couple stories in there about what happened <laughs> for those um, poor souls. Um, but yeah, there are these just you could you could do a timeline of all these little incidents that lead up to basically up to the EFL trophy and where we are today. Yeah, I mean we we touched on that EFL trophy match, didn't we, at the beginning and. I say to have. I mean, I was there that night. Um, I wasn't causing any trouble. I'll be honest. <laughs> I just went for, for them to watch the match. Um, and you didn't like go say, to fight a toilet. I did not go to fight a toilet, or, or to have to walk a, a two and a half mile diversion to get back to my car because I rather stupidly parked it on the other side of Basel. But yeah, it uh, it was just. Like a real strange night. I mean, I remember the build-up. Um, I was being at work, and rather stupidly, like I say, I'd completely like played down that there would be any sort of anything like what actually happened. And I remember, like originally, when the thing says, "Oh my," because my my daughter's going with me and stuff. And I remember my, my mate turning around to me and goes, "Well, you're not going, you're not getting a ticket, are you?" And I was like, mm, "Thinking, mm, no, I'm probably best not." And he's like really don't <laughs> to even think about it and I was like why there'll be no like there won't be any sort of trouble thing but then it just shows like I say that there was at that time what was it 18 16 17 18 years at that point that was since yeah. we played and there was it was like I say similar to 89 there'd been a build up 
of all that time and people just had an opportunity, didn't they? And whether it was a bona fide, you know, um, league game or not, they were going to take that opportunity just to sort of go out there and and I'd say I'd say have a good time, but it wasn't have a good time for a lot of people. It was just go out and just show that the the, the rivalry still existed, basically. Yeah, and I think when the draw was made, we all kind of looked at it and thought, oh, that, you know, that's a bit tasty. And then, you know, the next thing, you know, 4,000 tickets have been sold for the away end and Stoke are asking for parts of the home end. So then the Port Vale fans are saying, well, they're not having any of our home end again. So then they're, <laughs> they're buying tickets, they're flooding all the way up towards the away end. And then all of a sudden you've got this, these, this corner where you've just got about a thousand police officers in fluorescent colours separating these two sort of heaving masses of people that, yeah, the in the end, there might as well have not been a football match because it was more about let's get our songs out, let's abuse the other fans, let's let's make a bit of a mess. Um, and then, you know, occasionally someone will look over and be like, oh, bloody hell, we're losing 4-0. And, <laughs> and suddenly, like, we're downplaying the match altogether. It's, it was never about the match anyway. And in some ways, that's true, because when 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 do people ever go in their thousands to watch um, an EFL trophy match away or an under-21 match away? The only times it ever happens is when there's a rivalry that just doesn't, play out that often you know you sometimes see it with Sunderland and Newcastle for example but it's 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 still rare even for for the big derbies for see such something like that and again it was a real eye-opener as to where we are much like in that 1989 clash that okay there's something here and we need to be ready for it for when it happens again and by we I probably mean the authorities <laughs> yeah because, I mean, let's face it, that, that match was over, like, within six minutes, I think they'd taken the lead, I think Tom Pope had scored, and he sort of, you know, got his belly out, didn't he, because he was getting all the fat <laughs> jokes and everything. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was like, yeah, does this look fat to you? Um <laughs> Like, like you said, the, the actual match itself, I mean, for Stoke, the beauty for Stoke was it was like uh, it was a free hit, wasn't it? Because if, if if they did lose 4-0, as they did, you could turn around and say, well, well it was our under-21, so it was your first team. Of course you should have won. It's um, essentially, essentially the opposite of what it would be if we met them in, in the cup, you know, where it would be a yeah. hit for the veil, where it's like, well, we're the lower league team, we're, we're the so-called smaller team of the city. You're supposed to hammer us. So if we hammer them... It's well, yeah, okay, that was supposed to happen. If they don't, it's like, ah, oh, you couldn't even hammer us. And then if you lose, it's all hell loose, isn't it? And I think that we had a bit of a role reversal that night, I think. Yeah, I mean, I mean, on reflection as well, I mean, the team that day for Stoke had like Josh Tymon in it and Nathan Collins play. Yeah. yeah there, was there, was talk, just... there was talk that maybe we'd put a few, because you were allowed to play two or three of your senior players and... I think, you know, Charlie Adam was knocking around on the, the bench at that time. And there was a thought that maybe we should just throw in a few big name players. But um, I'm glad that didn't happen because it could have been even more embarrassing if we did that. Yeah, because like, I was thinking maybe like Charlie Adam could have played. Cause I think he played a couple of games in the group stage, hasn't he, in that, that competition? Yeah. Um, but yeah, Charlie had been sent off after about five minutes of that match. Let's be honest. I'm just sitting here like, um, to Staffordshire Police describe the match as their biggest footballing operation for over ten years. Yeah, there are some. There are a few quotes in the book from um, sort of the the main 
um, management of the police of that night. And um, yeah, it certainly, we didn't come out of it looking great, let's say. <laughs> no, I remember obviously, like, as we came out of the end, I had to team right to go to my car. It was parked, I don't know if anyone knows Burson, but down by where the home bargains is, sort of down that road. And so I had to team right, but there was just a line of police. They were like, no, you're going left. So obviously it was like left up Hamill Road, across, and then down back into Burslem. But obviously all the police were doing were directing us up and around, and all the Vale fans were going, they're turning right and going around. So everyone was just meeting on the road the other side while the police had all stood by the ground like, oh, we're doing a great job tonight, lads. <laughs> we've, we've got no trouble here. <laughs> it's like, whilst like all that war is breaking out <laughs> on the main road a few hundred yards like, away. Out of um, it's out of mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, when we, we, we got through it, a quick sort of head down, don't look, you know, just just keep walking, um, and then I know we got to about three or four hundred yards from the from the uh, from the car, and all of a sudden, a group of lads started running down the street after we were like, right, get in the car, let's go. <laughs> so we yeah, we managed to get on scale. Like I say, I had no uh, no intention of getting involved in anything. <laughs> I, was, I was we were uh, trying to get away as quick as we could. Picture the scene: all of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Well, yeah, um... Like I say that, Joshua, I think if we if we had a league game, I think it'd be a guaranteed sellout. I mean, what were the crowds like during that time? During the nineties or the um, yeah, I mean, would you say were they the biggest crowds we've been getting for these games? Well, in the nineteen fifties, we were getting crowds of up to forty-seven thousand for both Victoria Ground and Vale Park. So, I mean, that those wow. were the, yeah, exactly. Those were the real sort of golden years of the uh, the fixture in a um in a capacity sense um but yeah all throughout the um the, the more recent meetings from sort of the 80s 90s 2000s they were always the top gates of the season for both the Vale Park and um Victoria Round or Britannia Stadium clashes so even when we were playing teams that we would consider big rivalries or just come down from the first division or Premier League we were still getting bigger gates against the Vale than we would be against the likes of Leeds and West Brom and Wolves. Yeah, so although we've got all these sort of like secondary rivalries, nothing ever came close to um, even, like say, with with the West Brom, Wolves, they'd come and sell out the away end themselves. So, But the actual like home fans, whether it be Stoke or Vale, 
it was always this fixture, like I say, not your veil crew. <laughs> um, it was this this fixture was the one that where the, the crowds would come flooding in for it. Yeah, and you know, you sometimes speak to Stoke fans who will tell you that oh, I don't care about the veil. You know, we I consider Wolves to be our biggest rivals, or Arsenal, or Manchester United, and you think. Okay, you can dislike those teams, and there is a bit of you know fire to the fixtures, but it's a little bit embarrassing to be saying, "Oh yeah, I really hate Wolves," and like they couldn't care less about us. We'd be like the <laughs> biggest rival behind West Brom, Birmingham, Billy, and like you say, it's it's reciprocal at least with the Vale. You know, they hate us, we hate them, um, and we have reason to. We're the two teams in a very small city. Um, it's a very small city. It's made up of towns, so you've got tribalism as well. You, you go to school, you go to work, you go to Tesco with these people. And, um, you know, that's what makes rivalries good. It's it's not a rivalry if you can lose to them on a Saturday and not see them until the next time you play. You've got to face them on Monday morning and you don't want to. Yeah, so it's on, sort of similar to that you're saying there about sort of rivalries and sort of rivalries maybe you should be a bit embarrassed about or... Um, and that I, I saw it was like a survey done in the Premier League a couple of years ago, and fans were asked to name their biggest rivals, and I think Stoke came out like third in the list for Arsenal. Is either third or fourth? Yeah, <laughs> Arsenal that's, fans. That's fun. That's still fun. Yeah, it was like Tottenham, Man United, Stoke, Chelsea, and, and, and um, West Ham. I was like. Wow, <laughs> do you still care? They One of these care. things is not like the others. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, we have, we, we've been relegated. We've shown no sign of being any good for a long time now, but they still hate us. <laughs> awesome Wenger's long retired. They still hate us. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, like I say, going back, there's been a lot of crossover, haven't there, as well, of, of sort of players and, I mean, favourite players. I mean, we, we spoke to Eric Skeels um, last week and obviously he sort of had something to do with the Paul Vailman towards the end of his career. Uh, played a few games, you know, just to see out his sort of professional career after a spell in America. And that's after playing 597 times for Stoke. Uh, Stanley Matthews, once he obviously finished playing, he had a spell as manager at Paul Vale. Yeah, very interesting spell as well. The one that, again, was sort of riddled with controversy and um, one that I dive into in the book. You know, I can't I can't spend forever writing about Stanley Matthews. That's been done um, by much better writers than myself. But Stanley Matthews was a big one. Um, yeah, we've had a, we've had several players um, cross the divide, so to speak. Um, I think more recently, we've even seen a few young players move there. Um I think Dave Brammer was probably a big one back in the day. And also, you know, perhaps the biggest wasn't a player, but John Rudge, who managed the Vale for so, so long. He was offered the job as director of football at the Vale, but turned it down and came to Stoke. Um, he was offered the Stoke job several times as well, turned that down. Um, there's been a lot of very interesting um, fourths and backs with Stoke and Vale. Um, again, there is a chapter based on that because... There is some some interesting tales right back to very early meetings in the early nineteenth, sorry, early twentieth century. Players um, who used to play for Stoke coming back and then sort of 
getting into a bit of trouble with the fans and almost ending up in the River Trent. Uh, there's, there's, there's all sorts of stories. And of course, Eric Skeels, Alan Bloor, Jamie Greenoff, lots of very interesting um, transfers. Not so many that go direct these days, except maybe the last couple of years. We've seen a couple of the younger players go there on loan or uh, Will Forrester went there, I think, recently. Um, it'd be interesting to see if we ever try to go for a, a Port Vale player who maybe was on the up for them and they had big promise for if, if they would ever entertain the idea of him moving up and I'm doing inverted commas in a way because it's not that far up at the moment but moving up to Stoke yeah they'd probably accept less money to send him elsewhere exactly. <laughs> um, but that's that sort of strikes me as well because there's been a lot of players maybe like Carl Dickinson um, Danny Pugh I mean let to a lesser extent Michael Tong who had played for Stoke, like I say, gone off two, three other clubs and then ended up at Port Vale. And I know especially Dicko as well, because Dicko was such such a crowd favourite at Stoke, wasn't he? And such a, you know, so well thought of with the fans. Um, I know when we spoke to Carl and, and he said, like, the fans were brilliant with him, the Vale fans were brilliant with him, the Stoke fans were brilliant with him. There was no sort of... Uh, there was nothing from either side that there was any sort of hostility around his move, and he said that you know they just made him. He was really happy with that because he didn't want he didn't want to experience anything like that. Um, but he said obviously he won the Vale fans over, just go you know just went out there, gave hundred percent as we know he always did, didn't he? And that was enough for them. And obviously how he played with a Stoke Stoke um, shirt on. He said state fans were just happy, like, if you're happy, we're happy kind of situation. Yeah, and Carl wrote the the foreword for the book, actually, because I wanted it to be somebody that had a bit of had one foot in both um, camps, really. I didn't want it to just be a Stoke-sided um, foreword because it's not a good impression if the first thing you come across is, like, forward by Mark Steen or something like that. So um, I got I asked Carl to do it, and he was happy to do it. And, yeah, he was loved. Um, obviously, he was really loved at Stoke. And he was he was very much accepted and still loved down at the Vale as well. So um, he was somebody I really wanted to get involved straight away for this, just to sort of set the tone of where where this book's going to go. On that note, I mean, where is this book going to go? Is it, uh, when's it when is it going to be out? So... It's out in most places on the 6th of March. Um, it's available to order now, uh, or pre-order, I should say, at Amazon, WH Smith, Hive.co.uk, and Waterstones. I believe it's already making some physical appearances in Waterstones or Panley. I've had a few people tweet me to show me that they've already bought it, which came as a surprise to me because I wasn't <laughs> aware that it was out yet. But if you are passing Waterstones, you might be able to pick up a copy. Um, hopefully it'll be out in the Stoke City shop at some point soon um, and also the Port Vale shop, I would hope. But I wouldn't imagine many of the every step along the way listeners would be venturing into the Port Vale shop anytime soon. But yeah, 6th of March, Amazon, all the usual places. Brilliant. I mean... <laughs> Going back, I mean, we are we're not going to quite finish there yet. Um, obviously, I mean, there is thirty what's fifty two games, fifty two league and cup, like proper um, full you know, first team versus first team encounters. Uh, from what I can see here, and obviously, 
you would imagine, wouldn't you, that a, you know Stoke have historically been higher than than Port Vale. Do you think that's fair to say? Yeah, that's factually correct. Yeah. So, but the obviously the head-to-head here is like 19 wins for Stoke, 16 for Vale, 17 draws. So, actually, you would say that really, I'd say Port Vale actually are out, probably outperforming what that record should look like in that sense. Yeah, and most of the clashes, especially the later clashes, there haven't been many games that have been won by more than one goal. There's been a lot of draws, there's been a lot of 1-0s, a lot of 2-1s, the occasional 2-0. So even the ones that we do uh, pick up our wins in, we don't do it like at a a canter. You know, this this isn't a friendly against Newcastle Town. This is, you know, this is a fiercely competitive match and and both teams really go for it and certainly we would say in maybe the early 2000s that the the Vale certainly went for it a lot more than we did or at least it felt like that from from our point of view and I'm sure you'll remember some of those um, early 2000s clashes yeah, um, I do indeed. Yeah, I remember that. Like, say that Port Vale basically had the hex over us didn't they, for a while, where it seemed like no matter what, uh, no matter how well we would be doing, sort of under good John and whatever, it would ultimately be the uh, the white shirt celebrating come full time. Yeah, and the chance of you'll never beat the Vale. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing that's interesting. I mean, does it touch on this in the book? I mean, looking. Right, going right the way back here to the very first meetings. I mean, there was one game in 1887, a cup game, and then there was the first league encounter was in the 1920, so just after the First World War. And it seems like the the fixtures then, they would play, and they would play the reverse fixture the game after, so like seven days apart. So they would go like... 6th of March and then they flip it and it's the 13th of March you imagine that if there was any sort of hostility I mean there wouldn't have been back then but you could imagine that doing that now <laughs> playing, playing a Vale part one week and then we'll see you down the 365 next week <laughs> <laughs> just just put the police in a van move them up <laughs> camp out for a week and get it over with yeah the book does go right back to those um, 19th century matches I think the first meeting of any kind was in 1882 and that was in the uh, staff senior cup um and even that finished 1-1 actually um <laughs> but there was uh, loads of sort of local cup and local or regional league matches that led up to the first FA cup meeting that was the 1887 one yeah um then Vale got their first win against Stoke in 1890 um First league meeting was in 1920, uh, which Stoke won, which is nice. We don't talk a lot about Stoke wins against the Vale, so um need to make sure I mention that. Um, but yeah, there was all these, and there has been throughout history, all these um, interesting little regional cup matches or, or charity matches um, that all sort of built up the rivalry to, to become the main rivalry of the Potteries. You know, it started before Stoke-on-Trent was even a city. So there were other teams that could be, could could lay claim to being, you know, the second biggest team in, in Stoke-on-Trent or the Potteries area um, if we say that Stoke were the biggest. Um, yeah, so that's basically, it does go back to those historic matches. As I said, there's some interesting incidents during those games, um, right up to when Stanley Matthews started to play. And then 
a little jump forward to the 50s and then onwards to sort of the period of quiescence where there was more incidents off the pitch than actual matches on the pitch. Yeah, there does seem to be, it seems to be like divided up into sort of three sections, doesn't it? You've got like the 20s and the early 30s, the 50s and the 80s and the other 90s and like late 80s, 90s, early 2000s. Um, so, I mean, I'm a, that's sort of, I mean, do you want to, do we want to look forward to, to playing them regularly again? It's one of them, isn't it? It's, it's, I've always said like with, like you saying around there's not really a rivalry. I'm like, there isn't really a rivalry because there's not really anything that you can when they were been in League Two and we've been Premier League for so long, there's there's no real sort of how can you banter with that? <laughs> oh, you lost to Everton the weekend. Oh well well you won but you beat Forest Green, well done. <laughs> it's like it, it, it's it's difficult, isn't it, to to sort of like you as a Stoke fan, you always have you always seem to counter with, well, our worst result isn't, you know, half as bad as, as your as your good ones would be how it would sort of come across. But now they're getting it's getting like tighter too, and you wonder, could we be in for another few seasons of, of being the same league, maybe? Yeah, and I mean, it's 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 an interesting question. I don't know whether I would be looking forward to a, a Potteries derby or not. But come to think of it, like when was the last time we just we had a match that we couldn't wait to see, you know, that everyone was talking about that tickets were going, you know, left, right and centre, a feeling of dread, a feeling of passion. You know, we don't, it's been a long time since we've had a game like that, probably since we got relegated, even going back to, you know, playoff games and things like that, where it's just been the talk of the city. Um, so you couldn't, you can't help but be excited if it does come along, but in the interest of not losing to the veil again, I'm quite happy for that not <laughs> to happen for for many a year, to be honest. Yeah, I think um, there's, I mean, there's, even when we've been in the same division, a lot of the time we have, regardless of the results when we go head-to-head, Stoke have generally always finished higher, haven't they? But then there was that sort of spell for a year or so or two years in the 90s where we'd sort of been relegated. As, was it like, yeah, we got relegated, didn't we, in in 98? Yes. And then Vale were still in the championship. So they were, oh, this was Division 1 at the time, wasn't it? So yeah. they were one tier above us and... Yeah, you, that's the situation you don't want to avoid. <laughs> that's the situation you do want to avoid, even. Um, yeah, but it's, I think, like you say, it's it's one of those. I mean, we play Brighton, haven't we? A Premier League team coming down fifth round of the FA Cup, and like you said, there's been no buzz. They didn't even open all the stadium. <laughs> yeah, twelve thousand. Yeah, and four thousand were Brighton fans, and that's for yeah an FA Cup fifth round clash. I guess. If the team were performing a lot better than they are, there might be a bit more of a buzz. But given where we are in, in sort of league position and performances, that it just feels like we're very flat on the club at the moment and we do need something to give us a bit of a boost. And I'm not saying a Potteries derby would do that, but <laughs> some kind of big match that mattered to us would that could get, you know, people out with their faces painted and scarves and flags and full stadium again would be it's been a long time and it would be very nice to bring it back wouldn't it 
Well, have you seen the FA Cup draw tonight? I haven't, no. So if we had beaten Brighton, we would be playing Grimsby at home in the next round. <laughs> of course. And of course, the winner then, you're in a Wembley semi-final, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> there you go isn't that just that could have been the little face painting game that we needed <laughs> no, uh, never mind never mind there's always next year there's always next year <laughs> we might draw the veil we may draw the veil I mean we might have to help them get through the first two rounds so we can draw the veil <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah I mean it's like you say there's no Sort of no thoughts on a, on a third book. I mean, if we do get another, if we do get in the same division and there's another 10, 12 games over the next few years, you may have to, you know, may have to re release with an extra couple of chapters in. Yeah. Or if we do play them and nobody cares, then it'll just make my, my second book redundant, I guess. Is <laughs> that <laughs> um, so you could call it the rebirth, rebirth of the love for the club? Sort of yeah. along them lines. <laughs> <laughs> it's catchy name than that. I'm there. I'm sure. Um, but yeah, it's been a it's been a pleasure, pleasure to talk to you, mate. Um, great, good luck, good luck with the sales and everything. Hope it flies off the shelves for you, and I should be getting a copy myself. Um, do you want to give everyone a reminder as well where they can where they can get it? Yep, so 6th of March, it's coming out. Uh, You can pre-order it on Amazon. I think that's probably the easiest way, but it's also going to be available in WH Smith, Waterstones, and it should be in the club shops at some point as well. Fantastic. I like I say, good luck, mate. And uh, yes, maybe we will be joining. Maybe we will be playing the Vale sooner than we thought. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Dan. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.